you, Roger, for that beautiful prayer this morning. And I do want to agree with him. It is so good to have Dean back with us. And for those of you who are visiting this morning, you may not know why is that such a, an important thing. But our dear brother in Christ, Dean Felposh, had heart transplant. And the way the heart was provided, the whole recovery process has been miraculous. And it's been a long healing process and to have him back is amazing, and so we are. We're thankful for that. Well, this morning, we come to the end of the Gospel of John. We have been in the Gospel of John for almost two years now, and we come to the very last section, John chapter 21, and verses 15 through 25. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. And I just want to let you know a little bit about where we are headed from here. We will cover this last section this morning. Next week, next Sunday morning, we, I am going to take a message. And since we've spent so long in the Gospel of John, I thought it would be good to just have one sermon that just takes a look back, uh, an overview of the Gospel of John. What did we learn these last two years? What are the major principles, the major teachings of the Gospel of John that we need to take with us from this important study? Then after that, I have a, a brand new series of Christmas messages that we will begin, and then that will take us to the end of the year. So just to kind of let you know where we are headed from here. This morning... This is, if you look in your bulletin, the resurrection of Jesus, part five. You say, that's a lot of parts for the resurrection of Jesus, and it is, because as I have shared with you, in John chapters 20 and 21, we have the longest section in the entire New Testament, the longest section of any of the four Gospels, on the resurrection of Jesus and his post-resurrection appearances. And so this is part five. Two weeks ago, we saw the first part of John chapter 21. We looked at those first 14 verses. And we learned the important lesson that apart from Christ, as we learned also in John chapter 15, apart from Christ, we can do absolutely nothing. Everything we do for the glory of God is done in the strength of Christ, in the power of Christ, and in the wisdom of Christ. On our own, we can do nothing good for the glory of God, but in Christ we can do all kinds of amazing things. The disciples were out fishing, and they fish all night and they catch nothing. And the resurrected and living Jesus is standing on the shore and he says to them, and they don't at first know it's him, he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. They cast their net on the right side of the boat and it is filled with fish. So many that they have to drag the net in. So many that they thought the net was going to break and it miraculously doesn't break. And then they realize the person talking to them, is the resurrected and living Jesus. He is alive from the dead. And when they come to shore, they find 
that the sovereign God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, has fixed breakfast for them. He made breakfast. He made breakfast over a charcoal fire and invited them to come, and he baked fish and gave them bread, and they sit down together, and we pick it up from there in John chapter 21, verse 15, and it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Well, our first point this morning is the restoration of Peter. Jesus uses the breakfast setting to begin the process of restoring Peter after his threefold denial of Jesus. When Jesus was arrested, Peter is out in the courtyard. Jesus is before Caiaphas. Peter denies Jesus three times. In fact, the third time, he calls down a curse from heaven and says he never knew him, doesn't know the man. And so the question becomes, in our minds, in our hearts, whatever happened to Peter? Whatever happened to Peter after his denial? And it is the Gospel of John, and only the Gospel of John, that gives us this important meeting, confrontation, conversation between Jesus and Peter with the other disciples, the other six disciples who are a part of this group, listening in on what they are saying. And I want to share something with you this morning that 
has everything to do with the rest of the message. In fact, you will not get the fullness of this message without understanding this point, and that is Peter was a broken and devastated man. I think it is hard for us to fully understand and grasp how broken and devastated Peter is at this time. He had denied his Lord. He had denied his Savior three times. I believe at this particular point in his life, he is crushed. Now, he was with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them in the room that was locked, and Jesus just showed up. We saw that earlier. And then Jesus appears to them a second time where the doors are locked, and Jesus just shows up, and Thomas is there, and he talks to Thomas specifically. But this is the first time that we have Jesus and Peter. Jesus and Peter after his threefold denial. Remember what happened. Jesus said to his disciples just after they leave the upper room, he says that he is going to be arrested and they're all going to scatter and leave him. And Peter says, even if they all leave you, I will never leave you. And then in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 34 and 35, Matthew has the fullest picture of this account. Jesus said to him, to Peter, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter was so confident he could never deny Jesus. Peter is so much like us, so much like us. He's a big talker. You know what? We are too. When it comes to our walk with the Lord, we're big talkers. I'd never do that. That can never happen to me. That may happen to that brother or that sister, but that'll never happen to me. And that's where Peter was at. And then in the courtyard, he was actually called out by a servant girl who recognized him, who recognized his accent. But three times, <clears throat> excuse me, three times, he denies that he ever knew Jesus. And in Matthew 26, verse 75, it says, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Again, I think it's hard for me to understand when he heard that rooster crow. He realized what he had done. He was crushed. He was broken. And it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. That needs to be so fresh in our minds as we come to this section of Scripture. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, points out some things maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't. But this is directly related to Peter's denial, this last section. Peter denies Jesus over a charcoal fire where he's warming himself. He's now confronted by Jesus over a charcoal fire that's there for the breakfast. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you really 
love me. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, and I believe he said this very meekly, very humbly, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. So much in verse 15 that really leads us through the rest of the verses. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. He calls him Simon, not Peter. We know in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, boldly, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And you will be called Peter, the rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But at this breakfast, doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, his surname, his given name, in essence, the name of his natural man, his fleshly man, because that's how Peter had been acting. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I want to share with you a couple of Greek words that are important in this text, and I know some of you have heard this before, but I realize that not all of you have, and so I want to go back over it again. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the word for love that Jesus uses here is the highest form of love in the Greek language. It's agape love. And he's saying, Peter, do you really super love me? And he says, more than these. Some debate over what the phrase more than these means. Some say it means, do you love me more than these men love me? Others say that it is a reference to the boats and the fishing nets. Peter, do you love me more than this life? Do you love me more than your former occupation? And I think it probably means all of those things. I think it means, do you love me more than anything in this life? Do you really super love me? And he, Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but the word for love that Peter uses is not agape. It is phileo. It is the word that means brotherly love, sisterly love. It is a lower form of love. It is friendship. It is affection. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I really like you. Why does Peter say that? I think Peter is so crushed right now. I think he is so humble. I think he has a hard time even looking at Jesus at this point. And he cannot say, in all honesty, I really, really love you. I super love you. He knows what his boasting has done. He knows his boasting was in vain. And he said, Lord, you, you know that I phileo love you. And he says, Simon. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Peter was going to go on to be one who preached the word of God, who fed the word of God to God's people, who ministered to people, who knew what it was like to be broken, who knew what it was like to be hurt. And he was going to be an important minister of the word of God, an important minister to God's people. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, 
Simon, son of Jod, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And again, he said to him, tend my sheep. Same thing. Do you super really love me? And he's like, Lord, you know that I really, really like you. I have great affection for you. Verse 17, third time. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John. Now, this is important. He says, Simon, son of John. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't use agape. He uses phileo. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you really like me? Do you have affection for me? Now watch what happens. Peter was grieved. Translated different ways, Peter was hurt. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, and again, the tense and the mood is one of great brokenness, great humility. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter, I'm going to use you greatly, but I need to know if you love me. I need to know if you really, really love me. Well, Jesus tells Peter that a day is coming when he will suffer greatly for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. So Jesus moves from asking him about his love to telling him what the future holds for him. Verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Oh, Peter, I say to you, and this is why he says, do you love me? Peter, you need to love me if you're going to serve me. Because when you were a young man, you used to do whatever you wanted to do. You'd go wherever you wanted to go. You'd do whatever you wanted to do. But I want you to know something, Peter. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And in Greek writings, the term stretch out your hands is almost always a reference to crucifixion. Peter is going to be crucified. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter, you are going to suffer for me and you're going to suffer greatly for me. That's why it's so important that I know that you love me. And according to church history, Peter was crucified. But when they came to crucify Peter, he refused to be crucified right side up because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. And so Peter requested to be crucified upside down. And at least according to tradition and church history, that's how Peter died. He was crucified upside down for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And in verse 19, in that parenthesis in the ESV, it says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter was going to glorify God by dying for him, by dying for the cause of Christ and the sake of the gospel. 
And even as hard as this is, I personally think Peter was thrilled. Because even though he had miserably failed the Lord, he was going to be restored. And Jesus is saying, you're going to die for my glory. And there had to be chills up and down his spine. I'm not saying that he just wanted to die, but he needed to know, I'm going to do it the right way this time. I'm, I'm not going to fail again. I'm going to have another opportunity, and I'm going to die for Jesus. I'm going to die for his glory. That had to thrill his soul. And then we read at the very last part of verse 19, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, you need to love me. You need to really, really love me because you are going to feed my sheep. And you're even going to die for me. You're going to die a cruel death for me, for my glory. So follow me. And that is our second point this morning. Follow me. It is time. It is time for Peter to focus his mind and his heart, his entire life, on Jesus. And so he said to them those two words, those powerful words, follow me. Well, in verses 20 and 21, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who, was, who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now, evidently, Jesus had gotten up, and he and the other disciples began to walk. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. I won't go back into all of this, but in our study of the Gospel of John, we have seen that the disciple whom Jesus loved was the Apostle John himself. That's how he refers to himself. He was also the one, if you remember, at the Last Supper, who leaned back on the bosom of Jesus, looked up to him and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Because Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray you. And so, in his writing, he wants to make clear, this is the one that Peter is referring to. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Lord, you've said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die for your glory. What about John? How's he going to die? What's going to happen to him? Now, I think this is twofold. One, I think he's very sincere. I think Peter, James, and John were very close friends, very close brothers in Christ. But part of it is he's distracted from what Jesus has just told him, follow me. And he says, what about John? What about this man? And that brings us to verse 22. Such a key verse. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Peter, why are you concerned? Why are you concerned what's going to happen to John? What if he remains alive until I return? What is that to you? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about John. Follow me. And I want you to notice at the end of verse 22, at least in the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says, you follow me, exclamation mark. 
Every exclamation, every punctuation mark is very important. You follow me. Strong language. You follow me, Peter. And folks, this is so important for us. I think one of the greatest shortcomings for all of us, every single one of us in this auditorium watching by live stream, one of our greatest shortcomings in the Christian life is we worry way too much about other people and not enough about our own following Jesus. We do. We talk about other people, we worry about other people, rather than really work, worrying about, am I loving Jesus with all my heart? Am I following him with, our, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And instead, we tend to say, well, I, they're not as faithful as I am. I don't know why. Or they're not raising their kids like they really should be. Or I, I don't know why they're not in, more involved in ministry. I just don't get that. They're not more involved in ministry like I am. And so we worry about other people rather than worrying about our own walk with the Lord and f keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This can also come from another direction. Sometimes there are those Christians who have fallen away from the Lord, like Peter, who have failed and who need to come back to the church. And they know they need to come back to the Lord. They need, know they need to come back to the church, but they start worrying about other people. Well, I know the people at that church. They're so hypocritical. Those people at that church, I know if I come back, they're all going to be so judgmental. I know what they're going to think about me. I know if I walk back in the doors of that church, they're, they're going to be talking about me. I know they're going to be I know what they're going to be thinking about me, and I think Jesus just says, don't worry about any of that. Follow me. You follow me. And then in verse 23, it's interesting. It says, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Somehow this became a rumor that spread widely that John was going to be alive until the rapture that John was going to be alive until Jesus returned but that isn't what Jesus meant at all he simply was saying this don't worry about my will for John worry about my will for you do what I have called you to do and then verses 24 and 25 are really two closing statements to the entire Gospel of John. Verse 24 says, referring to John, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. This is a powerful statement of biblical authorship. John is simply verifying that under the full inspiration and authority of the Holy Spirit, he is the human author of this gospel. And he says, we know that his testimony is true. The New Testament says that the in writing down the inspired word was entrusted to reliable men, and John is one of those reliable men. By this time, he had a strong reputation, John did. 
and we know that his testimony is reliable and we know that it is true. And then in verse 25, it says a fascinating verse. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John is saying, I have written these things. As he said in chapter 20, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But now he's saying, oh, there's so much more that could be written. And even if we take the whole New Testament, there are so many more things that could be written. Boy, if we took every word of Jesus, every act of Jesus, and analyzed it, it would fill so many books that not even the whole world could contain them. So all the amazing, wonderful, miraculous things that we have in the New Testament, even more could be written. Oh, what heaven will be like. And we learn even more and more about our glorious Savior. Well, as we end this morning, I want to come back to Peter's restoration. Jesus' restoration of Peter has served for centuries as a powerful encouragement to those Christians who have failed their Savior. Now, this is instructive for all of us because none of us fully serve Christ as we should. Excuse me. But I think it's especially instructive for those Christians who have gone through times of serious failure in their lives, have walked away from the Lord. And I want you to know, I want every one of you who may fit in that category, every one of us, but especially those who have had failings in their Christian lives, I want you to know that our God is a God of mercy and grace. He is a God not only of second chances, but of third chances and fourth chances. And on this weekend before Thanksgiving, if there is one thing that is part of our salvation, it is God's mercy. To be thankful for the mercy and grace of God, because if it weren't for the grace and mercy of God, none of us would even be here right now. None of us would even be able to walk with God. But I do want you to know this. We cannot trample on the mercy and grace of God. There are four things really in this passage that are conditional for us being fully restored to an intimate love relationship with our Savior after we've failed. Number one, restoration requires great humility. We must be able to humble ourselves. Remember, Peter could barely look at Jesus. He wouldn't even use agape. He was so broken, so devastated, so crushed, he couldn't even say, Lord, I know my own heart now. I can't even say honestly and truthfully, I agape you. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord. And the fact that Peter couldn't use agape at this point is actually a really good thing because he was broken. He was a broken man. Secondly, restoration requires a deep love for Jesus. We have to even ask God to give us a deeper and deeper love for Jesus. To truly want to love him, desire to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love him with every fiber of our being. Oh God, because you will not make it without that kind of love. You must love him above all things. You must love him more than life itself. Third, 
Restoration requires that we follow Jesus and get our eyes off other people. If you remember nothing else today, and I know this is so convicting for me this week, get your eyes on Jesus, follow him, and forget about other people. You will be so much better off in your Christian life. Lastly, restoration is being restored to an intimate love relationship with Jesus. That's primarily what it is. Peter would go on to become a great apostle. As we read through the book of Acts and through the, his two epistles, First and Second Peter, we realize what a powerful man of God he would become. However, I want to say to you that first and foremost, restoration is a restoration to an intimate love relationship with Jesus. I want to say something very sensitive here, but I think it needs to be said just so it's clear. Sometimes after failure in our lives, we do get restored to Jesus, but it doesn't mean that there are no consequences for our sin. Let me give you two quick examples. Let's say that there is a man or a woman, and in their marriage, they fell away from the Lord. They weren't trusting him. They weren't walk with, walking with him. And their marriage fell apart. And they became devastated and crushed. And they came back to the Lord. Now, their marriage may or may not be restored. Maybe divorce has already taken place. But I will tell you this, that person can still be restored to an intimate love relationship with Jesus. They can still be fruitful for Christ and can still bring great glory to God. Let me give you another quick example. Let's say there is a pastor who has fallen into great moral failure, significant moral failure, and he is crushed. He is broken. And he gets his life right with the Lord, there is a very good chance he will never be able to go back into pastoral ministry. He will never be able to serve in the pastoral office again. However, that man can still be restored to an intimate love relationship with Jesus, can still have fruitful years of labor for Christ, and still bring great glory to God. The bottom line is this. No matter where you are this morning, no matter what your sin has been, his mercy is greater. If you are willing to humble yourself, to love Christ with all of your heart, to get your eyes off other people and follow Jesus, he will. He'll restore you wherever you've been to that intimate love relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that even when we fail you, we can be restored to an intimate love relationship with you. Lord, help us to be so humble. Help us to love you more than anything in this life. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Enable each and every one of us to follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.